Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, November 22nd, 2021. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. Uh, this is my weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning today, this Thanksgiving week, November 22nd. Of course, you can follow me intro week on uh, Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or on LinkedIn just under Herb Morgan. Don't forget that uh, this is available by subscription where you get the, uh, the media, the, the, the slideshow that goes along with it, which is that you can download these slides for your use or on audio only formats, which is the typical, all the typical podcast formats that you're aware of. This information is designed for use by both investors and financial advisors, each of whom are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice, nor should it be treated as such. There are no recommendations for the purposes, purpose or for the purchase or sale of any securities. Everything is for informational purposes. Okay, we had a down week in the equity markets last week. No surprise given just how much we've run up. And of course here on Monday morning, we're having another big rally led by uh, Apple Computer and the big cap uh, tech names. The S&P, though, was up slightly while mid, small, international, and emerging markets were all down. Fixed income markets were pretty much unchanged on the week. Just a little bit of equity sell-off sympathy there coming from high yield. You can see high yield down about a third of a percent. Well, I've talked to you over the weeks and months recently about how this is the first ever supply-side recession. Demand continues to be abundant and ubiquitous. Uh, let's start with uh, some of the economic data from last week. New York State or Empire State Manufacturing Index rose to 31, almost 31. The estimate was for 22 on this sentiment reading of, uh, of manufacturing in the New York State region. Uh, new, new orders rose to 29. Employment rose to a record high, 26. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the Fed has been very reluctant uh, to raise rates in the face of uh, somewhat persistent now, I, I dare to even use the word transitory anymore, inflationary pressures, uh, and they keep citing they want to see more progress in the labor market. Well, here in the New York State Manufacturing Survey, we have the highest employment reading ever, ever. Philly Fed Survey came out and has its highest new orders reading since 1973. That number came in at 39 the estimate was for, for a healthy reading of 24. Demand continues to be very strong. Fed's tools of low interest rates um, and asset purchases are usually designed to be in place when demand is very weak, uh, but they're continuing to wanna to make progress on the number of people employed. Um, the big issue for the Fed now is, is labor force participation. I'm not so sure that Congress really ever mandated to the Fed when they said you must foster full employment that that was ever defined as uh, increasing labor force participation. So we're getting into a, a, a debate here economically and the Fed is playing a very uh, serious game uh, with this bet on transitory nature of, of inflation. Industrial production and capacity utilization were both higher. That's good news. Industrial production rebounded 1.6%, beating expectations. Capacity utilization really started continuing to pick up too. That's the highest post-COVID reading there. And that's a good sign. 
that we're using up the capacity of the nation's factories. Incidentally, this is also an inflation indicator. We're not in what I would call the red zone yet. We need to be much higher. So this actually does make the Fed's argument that the inflation is not uh, system-wide. It's really concentrated only in the areas associated with reopening. If it was system-wide, we might see the, fact, the capacity utilization issues up here. Then again, capacity can be impacted by supply chain issues as well. Retail sales for the month of October up 1.7%. Backing out autos and gasoline still up 1.4%. A very solid number on retail sales suggests that the consumer remains strong in the U.S. economy. I keep harping on this inflation stuff because it is one of our biggest concerns right now. That and uh, some of the concerns I have with uh, what's happening in the Chinese economy. Uh, but import and export prices continue to surge. Uh, import prices are up almost 11% year over year. Export prices up 18%, that's not a typo. Export prices are up about 18% on a year-over-year -year basis. Business inventories continue to rise in the month of September, up seven-tenths of a percent. This is not because we're not pulling product out the back end of demand. This is, this is just confidence uh, by manufacturers and CEOs willing to hold inventories on their balance sheet because they are uh, confident in the demand side of the equation, confident in the demand side of the equation. Housing sentiment from the nation's home builders rose again, it was expected to come in at a very high 80. It came at an even higher 83. Traffic rose, current sales rose, expectations were unchanged. Starts and permits, however, have been declining ever so slightly. You can see a little bit of a downtrend here over on the right hand side. Housing starts uh, came in in October at a 1.52 annualized, a little below expectations. Permits came in at a 1.65 million annualized. And that's, we're getting closer to that number we sort of need for an economy this size, a population this size. You have natural growth, you have some part of the housing stock becomes destroyed, uh, becomes obsolete, you know, migration from cities and towns and states, et cetera. In terms of uh, the job market, we continues very, very strong. The weekly initial claims for unemployment report shows a, um, a claims last week were 268,000. Uh, you remember we actually got below 2000 pre-COVID. We had a very strong labor market, but this is a strong and healthy labor market as well. Continuing claims are falling. And if you take that 268,000 last week, California again accounted for 23% of all claims while being 12% of the overall population. Uh, I don't mean to be sort of, I don't mean to be denigrating my own state by any means, but what it suggests is that the ex-California number for employment, numbers for employment, whether it's initial claims or jobs or anything else, is much better. And that California has, you know, it has its own unique characteristics to its economy its way that it approaches business, its regulatory um, positioning, its views towards um, uh, you know, business and labor and regulation and, and pollution and everything else make it a little bit more difficult to do business in the state. Uh, and that is causing a, them to have a disproportionately large number of the nation's weekly claims for unemployment. Now, uh, moving on, 
to talk about earnings season, it's been a great quarter for earnings. There's just no question about it. Uh, full year earnings per share growth is about 41%. That's versus 28% that was expected at the beginning of the reporting season. Uh, and during this earnings season, we thought we had already reached peak earnings per share estimates forward. Those uh, were even revised higher given the results and the guidance that was out there. So it's been just a great, great earnings season. You can see 475 names have reported, 388 of those beat, uh, beat expectations. As such, the stock market continues to go higher. Remember that little co correction we had here from mid-August to mid-September, that's all been replaced. And then some new all-time highs. On a technical basis, we're starting to get a little bit close to that overbought line. I wouldn't say we are overbought. I don't say a big correction is imminent or anything like that. But when you see that RSI, relative strength number, start to get in that 75 range, you start to talk about it and watch it. Certainly over 80 is the, the red line where the market's really short-term overbought. But we've been hovering around here really all month. And we really got super close about a week and a half, two weeks ago there on that. And I mentioned the earnings per share growth. There's the current estimate for the forward uh, 12 months annualized uh, coming in at $209. Interestingly, the expectations for full year 2022 earnings per share growth over 21 is now down to about 7.7%. So I don't, you know, again, we're going to have the you know, companies are really going to have to show up if they're going to get those earnings pops next year. You're going to have um, higher uh, interest rates next year, in my view, which is the competition for investment dollars, right? If, if suddenly you can get 7%, I'm not saying that, I'm using an absurd example. If you could get 10% on a guarantee from a U.S. Treasury, well, why would you need to take equity risk? But with interest rates being so low, forced low by a very active central bank, that moves assets to equities. And so equities are really always valued by what's my risk-free rate of return. And we expect that the risk-free rate of return will inch higher next year and earnings are going to have a harder time uh, getting into that double-digit year-over-year growth. Doesn't mean we're panicked, doesn't mean we're ready to de-risk at this point. We're just sort of recognizing the reality of what 22 is likely to be. The other thing that is likely in 22 is we're going to see interest rate, these interest rate hikes. As of this morning, looking at my Bloomberg terminal and the world interest rate probability or WIRP, what we see is that they're suggesting that eh, we don't get that hike till summertime. Uh, I, I think that the Fed is going to have to face the reality of the inflationary pressure sooner rather than later. I think that Chairman Powell was waiting to get reappointed. It's been announced this morning that he will be reappointed before he moved. I don't think he should do that, but I think he probably did do that. Um, he wanted to get through those um, midterm elections. He's gotten through the midterm elections, uh, but it is time to hike rates to get control of this cost situation. So I think these, these probabilities are going to move higher. And I now think we could see a rate hike as early as March 16th, March 16th, in my view, that's not the consensus as you can see in the market, only about 23% of the market thinks that's likely to happen. We're gonna get some information on that this week. In addition to existing home sales, some flash numbers from Marquette, 
GDP, jobless claims, et cetera. You know, Thursday, obviously the market's closed for Thanksgiving, so we're pulling the weekly claims that would normally be on Thursday into Wednesday. But this guy right here, October PCE, core PCE inflation, the Fed is a target of 2%. All my career, they have raised rates when it was trending higher, but before it got to two, knowing that there's a policy response lag. This time around, they said, no, it's, the, the inflation is transitory. We're going to wait. We're going to let it run above. And they also pointed out that it had been below for some time, and that was a legitimate, legitimate thing to point out. But at 4.5%, we're more than double the target. The Fed has a statutory mandate to address the inflation concerns. And the way I read the mandate, they must take action to ensure price stability at this time. And so uh, could, we, we, could we see a speed up in the taper? Yes. Could we then see a rate hike as early as March? Yes. Could we see it in January or December? I doubt it. Uh, January is a very remote possibility. I think there's no possibility of December. That's just a couple of weeks away. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back to you again next week. Uh, don't forget, pick us up on a podcast. Follow Intra Week on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for tuning in.